I always like, you know, so we're recording now just to let you know, but it is funny how um, saying that I have a clean rating on iTunes sometimes. I have had people say, oh, can, better, we, can we better change my filter? Now, yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Or can, can we just, um, you know, can I take a moment? Yeah. Take a moment. Let me get out my, my swear words and then I'll tell you when I get to hit record, which is something entirely, uh, a buddy and I, we, the other podcast that I do, we call it the on-ramp. Okay. And we often say we wish we could release the recordings from the on-ramp because yeah. that's where you sort of get your... Some of the flavor. <laughs> now, <laughs> just, just to give you a little heads up, um, I have a problem swearing oh. in, in that it's very hard for me to. Uh, there was one time in early on in university, I decided, you know what, I'm going to start swearing because I, I never really did. And I started swearing and all my friends were looking at me. it sound like a self-improvement program or something. <laughs> it kind of was. I thought, okay, I've got to expand my vocabulary. And every friend I had looked at me and said, Eugene, stop. Because it just doesn't sound right coming out of your mouth. <laughs> and I realized it just doesn't come out. So we won't have an issue with the clean rating for I'm gonna, <laughs> I like I like that. Okay, so before we go too much further, so how about throw down a, uh, this is Chasing Squirrels. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for finding the podcast again. Happy that you're here. Happy that I'm talking to Eugene Chun. But could you, in your words, yep. not so sweary, okay. <laughs> brand yourself. Who are you? Uh, who am I? I'm a tinkerer. I'm a educator. I'm a creator, a crafter. That's who I am. I've always been interested in merging multiple disciplines together. So um, first and foremost, currently I'm employed as a teacher in the high school uh, setting for secondary school in the public, the public sector. But I come from uh, technical industry uh, as my background and I've always had artistic elements woven throughout my life. So that, that's who I am in a very short nutshell. Yeah, so then you make me wonder about that whole rebranding thing you're talking about, trying to swear. I tried for a while, tried for a while to rebrand myself as Christopher. Okay. And it, 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 I had a similar sort of response from people around me. Like, it just couldn't. That? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it just didn't work. So you trying on, you know, some of the profanity. It sounds, it sounds like we have a similar... <laughs> That's good. Um, well, so, go. It sounds like you're... No, it's just, I mean... With the name Eugene, mm -hmm. being um, growing up in uh, an, an education system with a nerdy name and also being good at math, being Asian, it just all the more filled the stereotypes. So I had to try to break all those stereotypes in school. When I was in high school, way back when, um, I was in part of the gifted program as well. And it's like, okay, again, accentuating the nerdiness of my name. But I did everything I could to stay away from that. Uh, got involved with sports, did art, um, did not take any computer courses in high school just to stay away from all the nerds that were because I was just branded as that. And then so, you know, again, part and parcel is just the, uh, at one point I thought, you know, everybody's swearing. Let me try it. It didn't work. <laughs> it was funny. Like, I, without, without dropping it, what was the one that you test drove? Uh, just, you know, um, primar primarily sugar honey iced tea, right? <laughs> <laughs> Keep, so, keeping you clean, right? <laughs> that is awesome. I've never... See, the, I, the, one, the version that I know of that is it's so happy it's Thursday. So happy it's Thursday. <laughs> okay, that, that, that works too, right? That is awesome. That is awesome. And it just, people just looked at me and said, no. Well, that stop. just stop. doesn't work. <laughs> it it's like using the dad language. Yeah. Yeah, it's like using the dad language and you're just, like, you can't, you can't be a dad and a hipster at the same time. No. Like it's, well, it's, sorry, it's very difficult. Yeah. Because the hope is that your kids call you out on that. <laughs> so I, I'm going to push you. You you started me. You started me thinking about your high school experience. So yeah. one of the spaces that I've started to kind of dig in these conversations are if you can go back, 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 back to let's say an early your earliest edu experience. Yeah. So can you? I mean, you call out high school you know, messing around there and, and avoiding, avoiding your own stereotypes, so to speak. Yeah. Can you go back even further? What's your, what's your earliest, your earliest educational like, memory? Uh, that's a, that's an interesting one. 
I, I, it depends on which forum you're looking at. And I think mm. um, the one thing that really captured my heart of learning and experiencing was probably art school. Uh, when I was a young kid, they sent me to an art class Saturday morning. And it's like, oh my gosh, I had so much more fun here. They as in your parents? My parents, okay. yes. And I had more fun here in the two hours that I spent drawing and doing stuff than I did in school all week. And I would mm -hmm. look forward to that. Um, but that was very short-lived. I continued doodling and drawing and then eventually got into an art school and did a number of things there. And there's always this passion, a desire to do something, to, to make something, to create something. And there's more to it than that from a, like, we'll go philosophical later, but mm -hmm. um, a lot of it had to do with, I liked creating things that people could recognize. And so, that I would recognize, but also sharing it with people. Was, was the key thing. And then finding that if I learn how to do certain things, I could utilize many different elements and put them together. And that's, that's where the, the crafting comes into play. You got me thinking about maker culture. Like you got me thinking about my own roots in that and how I noticed because it's one thing to do. If you always felt like it's just what you always did, yeah. you know, you talk with your parents or your you know, your, your family friends and they say, oh yeah, you know, like Eugene, even from an early age was sort of like stacking blocks or, or, or taking apart a radio. That's actually me. <laughs> I, I kind of using it. That was me actually. My dad used to sort of relate stories about, you know, how many radios they, they had to buy because they kept on being taken because apart. I would take them apart. I was curious about, I was never really great about putting them back together again, but yeah. I was infinitely curious about how what the, com what the componentry. Yeah. yeah. I hear you. Was it, was it about how it worked? Now you got me thinking. Was it about how it worked? I think there was something, maybe the best way to look at it is like, I think about the device that I'm recording our conversation on right now. And there's, there's some quote out there that talks about any piece of technology that is not completely understood can seem magical. Yeah. And I think that's what the radio kind of represented. There was a, there was a magic to it that I, my brain craved to deconstruct. Yeah, I was going to say decompose, deconstruct. Yeah. It craved to see what was what was the what was the concrete bits behind the magic. It's funny because if I take that forward now to my mindset now, it's actually a little bit of a detrimental mindset mm -hmm. because sometimes in the deconstruction, losing the magic, you don't realize that it's actually by addressing the magic too deeply. You lose the magic, yeah, like it's, it's no well, longer. I think where you um, take, just look at all the deconstruction and just stop there. Like I always took stuff apart, yeah. just like you. I took stuff apart, but I always looked at ways, how can I make this better? And everything I, I tried to take apart, I tried to make it better or smaller or faster or something to that degree. I, I overloaded so many electronic components with more voltage than it should have had. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Remote control cars went a lot faster and whatnot, but it's just, uh, I ruined a lot of electronics. I learned in the process, but at the same time, these were learning experiences that, wow, I wouldn't have gotten, um, I could have gotten in school, but uh, those courses weren't available to me. Per se. My parents were very much, oh no, okay, we'll support you in the arts, but you know what, if you, you got to study well and become someone of a business affluent and okay. become, you have need to make money, which is their, their big concern was you got to be able to support yourself. And, and they really, even though they supported my artistic upbringing and my desire, they also downtrodden it in the sense that you're never going to make money as an artist mm. or you know even i thought maybe i'll become an architect well you'll never make money as an architect and it's like it's just their ill-conceived perception of what they saw as an architect or an artist and so they really pushed me away from that and that was a, a journey in itself what um what what do you think was feeding into that kind of perception of stay away from the arts my, my family was on the, let's say, on the opposite end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Do what you want, Clough. <laughs> <laughs> but in some ways, but in some ways, that was a type of lockdown thinking as well. Oh, it's so um, far away, it's almost like the exact same. We're, we're standing extreme, side right? by side, yeah, yeah right? Yeah. I'm looking for someone to kind of give me direction, 
and you're looking for someone to kind of say, just let me, let, let me be free. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're both kind of like, we're both landlocked on it. Yeah, yeah my, my parents were very much, it's funny because when you started to talk about being able to sustain and live and support yourself, my family was more about the, you need life skills. Yeah. So Clough, you need to be able to do taxes. You need to be able to go grocery shopping. You need to be able to drive a car. Like, no joke. No. And this is kind of like the back. So this was the lockdown thinking that, that you know, it was, it was about being the functional living skills that might not ever necessarily, like I would be the most functional unemployed person ever, right? I can do like, no, no job skills, but I can live, right? I can cook, I can clean. It's like the, um, you know, well, so I guess it's all good. It's all good fodder for being a dad, let's be yeah. honest. I mean, you, yeah, those are necessary true. skills. Absolutely. And it was funny because when I made it into university, I was, I met a lot of really smart people yeah. and I kept on thinking to myself and, but like, but the room smelled terrible <laughs> and I would watch them eat. I'm like, you're like an animal. Like, look at how you're holding your fork. It was sort of like, <laughs> no, no joke. It was funny because that, because I made it into university. So I went to university, uh, 1990. So that's when I went in. A lot of my friends were going to university. I didn't want to go to the university that all my friends were going to. They were all going to Brock. Yeah. And I thought to myself, I don't want to do it like them. I was kind of starting to shift away from my, the center of my group. And I thought to myself, I still want to go, I think, because everyone was going. Yeah. But one of the reasons that I wanted to go is because I had success in life. I had a job. I was already working in hospitality. I had made money, cut a deal with my parents, pay 50, they pay 50. Yeah. So it was like closing the contract, right? I'm going to yeah. prove that I can live. I can, I've already established I was like a jobber. I was already a working full-time job paying for all my own stuff. Yeah. Now I'm going to also prove that I can do the, 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 the schooling part. I'm going to, I'm going to, let's see if I can add some, some professional finesse to this. Yeah. But back, back to where you were starting this, what was, what was feeding into that idea? Do you think that, um, so they weren't dissuading you from art necessarily they were just promoting a different thing it was like the art thing's cool but but yeah you need a degree so what do you think was feeding into that it's the same thing it's a it's immigrant mentality you need the education in order to be successful Hmm. you need the degree from a reputable school so you know everyone my age like we're at the same age so it's everyone our age at that time was like you have to go to the university of toronto you can't go Mm -hmm. to a college or you can't go to that university that's not really a university so it all had to do with prestige and saving face per se is a like I come from a a very shame-based culture so it's all about pride it's all about shame and they they're the same two sides of the same coin and these are things that I've had to deal with all my life and only recently have been able to identify and actually start to deal with so that as a father I don't portray that against my kids or have that uh, uh, placed upon my kids Mm -hmm. in a sense. And so, but it's a challenge because this is how I've I've grown up in my, my, this is how I've I've lived life, my entire life. And, you know, in in the four and a half decades and and then some, it's just like, oh my gosh, there's so much unraveling that needs to be done. And, uh, but yeah, it all had to do with you had to go to a good school. You had to do well. You had to get your degree in order to get a job. And we're, we're now teaching in an environment where we're telling the kids, no, the degree is not going to get you a job. It's going to get you a very expensive piece of paper. Yeah. And it's not life skills. It's not going to get you where you want to be unless you're cream of the crop. But for the vast majority of the students we teach, it's like, uh, you better really think about your, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Your ability to be flexible, your flexibility, because mm-hmm. you're going to have to switch things. Like even in my career, where I come from, like I, I decided to go into business because my dad was an accountant. Right. And it's like, okay, I guess I'll go into accounting because they want me to get a degree in something. That wasn't for me. I, I very quickly realized this is not my lifestyle. Yeah. And then uh, taking a couple of computer courses in school and realizing that I had a natural knack for this. I started to question myself, why didn't I take this in high school so that I would be even further ahead? And then next thing you know, just everything kind of coordinated itself into a, a field where at the time it was like, well, where's the future in computers? It was still a question. There might be, but where's the real job? The real jobs were a doctor or a lawyer or something to very established um, professional environments. 
and computers was kind of like still like this is the mid 90s it's just we're not too sure where that's going to lead itself mm -hmm. to then it just exploded and so it's like i happen to be at the right place at the right time on a number of fronts um, throughout my life so computers was exactly where i was i needed to be and i got a job and it just like wow this is amazing uh, my parents started to see the light oh there's something more to this than just playing games on a machine right, right. and so um but yeah it, it it took a lot to to convince them it, when i switched over from the computing field to teaching that was uh, another thing that took quite a bit of time to convince my parents and, or, and everybody around me right just it was uh, it was interesting but i look back now and it's like man oh man that has been the best decision i've ever made in my life and it really wasn't a decision it was it was a calling and so it was uh it was unique that way but it's like wow there's definitely something someone just guiding me and like putting me in the right places at the right time. I can't tell you how you, you, the things that you've introduced, the synchronicity between you and I, um, I, so my mom is first generation Canadian mm -hmm. and uh, a Polish background. My dad, Irish, his family have been here for a few generations, but I would say definitely the, the, the stuff of my ethic yes. comes from my mom's side. I can see it quite clearly. The um, her family, my family, but her side of the f family, her, both her brothers are contractors, electricians. Mm -hmm. My grandfather wasn't, uh, her father, uh, John was an, an upholsterer, uh, a custodian for the longest time. Actually he had multi jobs. Well, um, to support the family, support the family. And it's funny, like, like I would have never, it has never occurred to me ever that I may have an immigrant story to my family that way. I, no joke, as I'm thinking it. Because, and again, it's that, you know, us starting the conversation about you and I standing side by side on like this, this dial. Yeah. And the zero divides us. Yeah. And because, because, you know, one of us is at one and the other one's like at 12. We're so extreme, it's just we're Yeah, right there's a hair's breadth. But all that circle is, is a, is a line when you cut it out, right? But yeah. you can circle it back around. So for me, it was never about you know, embracing something that was, that was professional, that had a paper designation to it. Yeah. It really was work as freaking hard as you can for your whole life. Like dog it out, dog it out, dog it out, dog. The sort of the labor hands-on trades person. Yeah. And it's funny because it, I got soaked in it. And that was part of, you know, my salvo back to my family. Because I fell into that in high school where high school for me, being in a classroom was very much... Um, it was like my part-time job and my real life was working restaurants at nighttime and the weekends. Yeah. And it was never, I, if you were to, if you were to, if there was an event going on, I would be, I would not be at school. So it was at a very early age, the work that I felt like what you were noticing for you, it was naturally pulling me away from school. Well, it's, it's either going to be life sustaining or life sucking, right? Yeah. But part of, but in that as well is that life sustaining or let's say life sucking within the life sustaining is also what element of your life is being sustained. Yes. And, it, and again, yours, let's say it sounded, it was sort of, you had this drive to follow the creative, the computing, the creative, the making, yet there was the gravity or the tether of stay grounded to something that's going to be able to support you like you're really gonna be paid for that yeah I was on the other side entirely getting paid but not pursuing some of the artistic yeah. things because I was um, well I'll do this in a different way so what I felt was sort of pulling me away from school because I was interested in things that my school wasn't offering there were there I would say there's there were three teachers pivotal teachers yeah. that anchored me to a purpose in school you share first though thinking back you know, even though, you know, you felt like the gravity was sort of, you're orbiting away. Yeah. Did you have those anchors in the school that sort of kept, because I didn't have a negative sense of school. I just didn't really have a clear purpose for it in my life. Like I actually felt like I could, I could do what I needed to do entirely successfully away from school. But these three yeah. kept me tethered, kept me tethered. I would say, yeah, yeah, it was very much, it was the kite string. Yeah. How about for you? For me, it was like, you know, I, I, I knew how to play school, right? So mm -hmm. it was... It was do this, get it done, get graded. Mm -hmm. And I played that. I can play that well. It was the other aspect of how do I do something outside of school, 
that that became the issue. And I mind you, like you know, I as as a kid, I've I look at all the stuff that I've been involved in. And I'm thinking, wow, I had a very interesting upbringing. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of opportunities. Uh, my first working job per se uh, was a company that I created with a with a friend of mine at school. We were both 14 and we created a t-shirt printing textile company called Kids Casual Tops because we learned how to, in art class, do silk screening. And mm-hmm. we thought, let's silk screen t-shirts and sell them. And we did and we started selling them. It was like, this is great. And the next summer we said, let's make it a business. And we looked at what the clientele wanted and we realized, oh, you know what? People really like uh, touristy stuff, especially if you sell it downtown. So we were, we were part of the canvassing group of people out on the street at Young and Dundas, a wall of t-shirts, and we, mm. were, we were in there selling. And here we are, 15-year-olds, starting up a company, getting a loan from the, the bank, and going ahead and really expanding our, our horizons. Um, and that, that was really risky for me. But then my parents really just, and we did really well, and as a, we, I, I was at a fork in the road. I can make this a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And that's when my parents snapped me back and said, no, you need an education first. That's and where it gets dangerous. That's where When it you're gets, considering the lifestyle. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so the, they come from uh, uh, the environment of my, my mom is not educated. My dad has high school education because he came here at a young age mm-hmm. in the late 60s. And he had to go to high school to learn English. Um, his younger siblings all went through the school system here. He did a year or two in high school. He actually did high school in North Toronto, which was interesting. He was the first Asian there. And he had, he had to go through a lot of stuff. He didn't have the opportunity to go to post-secondary, so he didn't have that option. So a lot was riding on me doing the things that they never did. Mm-hmm. And so having to live with that and realize at an early age, wow, even though I want to go this route, I know it's going to make money. And they say, you got to make money. It, it was like a, a, a paradox of sorts. It was, mm-hmm. a, it was an oxymoronic in a sense of having to, okay, you got to make money, but uh, no, you're not allowed to right now. You need to study so they can make money. And it's like, oh, okay. So I played school well. Um, I did so well that I didn't know what I wanted to be. That happens. Yeah, high school was like, I'm done. It's like, what do I want to do? I have no idea. And back when we were in high school, back in the 80s and early yeah. 90s, it was, yeah, like, yeah. it was like, you never went to the guidance office unless you were in trouble. Yeah. And you never went to the, the main office unless you were in trouble. So um, the guidance offices now or the guidance facilities here in the high school, are they touch every single life in the, in the building right mm-hmm. now. And I think that's, that's important. But that's something we never had. We were just, you know, finish school, go get a higher education, or go to the workforce. Uh, you know, it, it was either you were, uh, yeah, you were either a, a working class, a blue collar, or you went white collar. Those were only two colors that were out there. Yeah, not much. Not and many. if you dropped out, that was your gap year. Yeah, and basically, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, uh, the going back to your question, what drove me was just performance mm. because they drilled it in my parents drilled it in me I need to perform again it's all very cultural too it's very you know the immigrant story and just you need to perform you need to uh, you can't you need to say face you can't have any shame and just it just really compounded mm. and directed me to do stuff and by the time I got to university I was in a program that I didn't want to be in mm-hmm. and like nowadays I look at it I look back it's like wow university was a lot cheaper for us when we went and how much how expensive it yeah. is now it's like oh my kids they better know what they want to be in before they go because if they're just going to try to you know dabble and figure out it's like no there's better ways to try to figure out what you're good at or what you want to do without it costing the the exorbitant amount it's become and uh, yeah it's it's an interesting predicament I find myself in as a, as a dad. Yeah, no, you got me firing on a lot of different things here. So I'll go back to my the, I'll go back to my three. So my three, the reason that they were able to keep me tethered to school was all because they did things in school that had nothing to do with school. Yeah. So my art teacher, Mr. Fitches, was a, a dressmaker. Oh. So we would be in class, yep. uh, and often, you know, his office. 
uh, sorry, podcast listener, I just pointed to the other side of the room right now, but yeah, it doesn't <laughs> translate well to uh, radio. But um, at the front of the class, he had a, a glassed-in office, and he would often have wedding dresses, prom dresses, and um, I'm dropping the name of what the mannequins are, but those, the, the, the bodies that you can yeah. sort of have, and he had multiples of those, and he was always working on a dress in class that had nothing to do with school. Yeah. Mr. Watson was an ordained um, celebrant, so he was my history teacher, and he was he would do weddings on the weekend. <laughs> and Miss Collins, Miss Collins uh, was uh, she did um, poetry, spoken word. So there were all these kind of elements of things that happened away from the classroom yeah. that, like it unfortunately, unfortunately, just reminded me that school. If my teacher is not solely spending time teaching me, yeah. but they're living in that space as well, it sort of served to kind of, like it just, it bumped my brain. I thought, okay, so school, there's, what it made me question is like, there's something they're not telling me about school. That's what, there's <laughs> something, and I didn't know who the, they were, yeah. but I had a strong suspicion. I said, because I'd be looking at the row on row teaching and the, like everything that was about our, our system that has changed, some of it's still the same, unfortunately. 1985, you're still in our school system. But um, there were things that I thought like, what, who, someone's not telling me the truth about school here. Because yeah. if my teachers can be doing these cool things and be able to share it with me, yeah. then, you know, and we're not actually talking about it. Because yeah. it always felt slightly, slightly forbidden. Like we shouldn't actually have these kind of cool bits of information. Do you, you, you mentioned, um, you, you mentioned uh, the, that idea of, um, shifting into teaching. Yeah. Can you give some shape to that? Elaborate on that. So what was, what was that kind of moment? Uh, and then maybe I'll, I'll share mine, but it is something that I, I share with my students now. Yeah. And I often frame it talking to my students now, like, what should I do next? Yeah. And the kids look at me like, what do you, what mean? Do you, what do you mean? You're <laughs> your teacher. You yeah. basically, they're looking at me like you've arrived yeah. and you're crazy. And I'm like, no, I'm just, I ask you, I love asking that question in careers and learning strategies classes because yeah. it opens, it just kind of goes, bah, like it just opens up the conversation like this. You no, know, I, I remember the first time I saw my teacher outside of school and I thought, you live, you, you go outside of school? Yeah, yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, saw them on an escalator. He's like, that's my teacher. What the heck? Mm -hmm. right. um, so uh, a little bit of history out of university or during university, I got a job at IBM mm -hmm. so, and I did uh, database development, database work. Out of a university, I got hired by IBM to do e-business stuff with uh, the e-business crew at IBM. Still did more development work, did artistic work as well to some degree, but more on the administrative side, the, the cognitive side of things as opposed to the creative side. And uh, worked at IBM for a few years, uh, five years in total, and then I realized you know what, this is not where I want to be. Uh, I've always enjoyed teaching, whether it was teaching um, Sunday school at church or uh, I had an opportunity to teach adult, uh, uh, adult school at the University of Toronto, mm -hmm. School of Continuing Studies. So somebody was teaching a course on internet application development and they couldn't go that night and they asked me, hey, Eugene, you available? I go, sure. <laughs> so I went ahead and I went, oh my gosh, you can get paid for this? I love this. And just, you know, we've all watched the TV, uh, the TV dramas or the movies about teachers who made a change. Or, mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, you know what? That'd be kind of nice. So I, I romanticized it. I fantasized about what it would be like as a teacher. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't give it a thought other than, okay, I've done teaching before. I enjoy being with kids. I enjoy being with adults even more so and uh, older kids and really engaging them and uh it's just i enjoyed that and then uh, at one point i decided i think i better leave ibm they're they're too big a company i don't I, there's some mobility but there's no creativity for me and then an opportunity at sony music canada came about and so i switched over to there for a couple of years worked as a developer moved up to internet application development and then became a internet application development manager and did stuff there. And that was, you know what, people ask, what was it like? I said, it was like a dream because hmm. it was just playtime all the time. You're with artists, uh, you're with musicians, you're with very creative people, and it's a very open environment. There's a lot of things you can do. It's, the only problem was it, was it was very busy. And so as a young married couple looking and desiring to have a family, 
It's like, no, there wouldn't be an opportunity. Not while I was working and being called to go to Montreal for the weekend mm -hmm. or go to New York for the weekend or go wherever to this show or that show and help set things up or manage this or that. And it's just, that's when I sat there inside my office with two other managers, uh, both of us, all of us in the new media department. And we were thinking, what are we really doing here? And the bread and butter for Sony back at that time was the compact disc. Yeah. So, and I said, you know what? We're just CD salespeople. And it's like, and the pun was we're CD compact disc salespeople. We're trying to make sales. And we were very CD as well in mm. terms of our, the, the tactics that we used gotcha. to, to get them. So the, the pun really stuck with me. And, uh, and there were some artists that I had to work with, which will remain nameless, that just drove me up the wall. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I can't believe you punk kids are getting all this recognition and you want all these demands. You have no idea what we're doing and how we're trying to market you. And that's when I decided, you know, I need something else. I need, some, I need to make a change. I need to do something different. Um, on a philosophical note, mm -hmm. um, yeah, one of my blog posts, and I see in your notes here, just the thing about uh, making changes in education with regards to uh, the, the metaphor of water. Mm -hmm. right? and how water changes things. A running water, moving water makes change. And that, that really stuck with me. And at that time, I, I decided, you know what, I'm going to pray about this. I got my wife to pray about it. And um, I heard pretty clearly, go into teaching. Hmm. And it's like, really? <laughs> and I had to question it. It's yeah. like, even though I asked and I got an answer. We, we need I was to like, talk about, can we yeah. just talk about this for a second? Yeah, it's like, it's like really? And so then I said, okay, well, God, if this is really you, I need you to prove it to me. <laughs> evidence. And, you throw down evidence. Yeah. Man. Oh. <laughs> and you know what? For, for me, That's awesome. <laughs> um, so the, over, over the span of ne the next six weeks, five different people came up to me <laughs> out of the blue, whether it was at church or in the middle of the week, and said, Eugene, I don't know why, but you're on my mind, and, you know, or I was praying for you or, or something, and it's like, Something about taking a step in faith, making a change. And it's like, okay, I get the message now. Nice. And it kept on coming. And it's like, okay. So then I decided I'm going to switch careers and move over to teaching. Um, told my parents. I told my wife. And she was like, okay, that makes sense. If that's what we're called to do, then we'll do that. And so it's like she was all on board. I said, you know it's going to be a change in pay. Like for a year, I'm not going to make anything. And so she's like, yeah, but if that's what we're supposed to do, let's do it mm -hmm. like why question it uh if that's where your heart is and that's where we're supposed to be then i think maybe that's where we're supposed to be right so with her blessing and her support it's like okay uh, here i am handing my resignation my boss the director looked at me and said um is it about the money mm -hmm. and i said no because i'm going to school for a year and it's going to cost me about 10 grand yeah and I'm going to be without employment for a year. And then when I get a job, if I get a job, uh, starting salary is one third of what I'm making now. And he looked at me and said, so it's not about the money. <laughs> I said, no, it's not about the money. It's about the opportunity, experience, and just this is a place where I feel like I can make or instigate some type of change. Yeah. Uh, uh, shifting of sands or whatnot. And um, try to do something more for society. He said, okay. Uh, I took my resignation letter, brought it to the president of Sony Music Canada, and then she called me into her office and said, so uh, is it about the money? <laughs> is it about the money? Yeah. <laughs> what's, we, what's your number? What's yeah. your number? Just what's your number? And it's like, give me, a, give me, a, give me a, a value. And I said, no, it's not about the money. She's like, that doesn't make any sense. I go, no, it doesn't. But I feel like it's the right place to be. That is the thing about those decisions. Yeah. And then my parents said the same thing. Are you going to make more as a teacher? I said, no, I'm never going to make the amount of money that I make now, ever. Yeah. And they're like, well, then why are you doing it? Yeah. And I was like, because it's a calling. And they questioned it for years. For years, they questioned it. And, but then a couple of years later, after I got into teaching, uh, the, the beautiful thing was there was a need for computer teachers at that time. Mm -hmm. It was early 2000s, 2001, 2002. There was a huge need for computer teachers. There weren't enough. And so I got a job right away. They bumped me up on the pay scale, which really helped out immensely. Uh, I still had a part-time job at Sony. They had me on retainer. Yeah. And everything just worked out really nicely. And then the bubble burst. 
the internet bubble burst, early 2000s, and everyone in my department got axed. And it's like, wow, that would have been me. And they all looked at me. Everyone in my department looked at me and said, how did you know to move out? How did you know to get out of this and into something more secure? Because every single one of them are like working here and there, contract work back and forth, mm-hmm. and they're, they're, they're scrounging, they're struggling, or they're, they're constantly on the search. And it's like, wow, that's a different stressful lifestyle that I really don't like. And I said, I didn't, but to be honest, I believe that some power did and mm-hmm. told me, go this way. And I just happened to be willing to follow. Mm-hmm. And so here I am now. Now, teaching has had its ups and downs. And at the same time, has more ups and downs. I've, I've had a lot of fun teaching. But uh, it got to a point where it's like, okay, so here I am trying to make change. And this is where the, the other part, the, the teach assist part, the software mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that I created. I immediately started teaching and they gave me this piece of software to do my mark assessments on. I said, are you kidding me? And I looked at it and it's like, this is made from 10-year-old technology. I don't like it. Uh, I've developed websites. I developed web applications. And so I thought, I, maybe I'll just make my own. Um, especially with regards to how curriculum was viewed, how uh, assessments were to be tallied and stored. And how, you know, a number of assessments weren't even being recognized. It was like learning skills and work habits. Yeah, yeah. Uh, teacher talk here. More often than not, teachers do it twice a semester at midterm and final. And then that's it. And there's no data to corroborate the value that they put onto a report card. Yep. And so I came up with tools. And I realized these are tools that I think I need to help me and to support my valuation of a student, my, my judgment of a student. And so I started to create things. And that's when I realized, oh, this is the type of change that I need to also implement as well. And so from that, Teach Assist was born. It wasn't called Teach Assist right away. But over the years, it started to gradually grow and evolve and mature to where it is now. And, you know, there's, there's still questions about where we're going to go with it as a company. But um, even more recently, I've been doing a lot of lot of soul searching, figuring out where am I? You know, the, the, the metaphor, the simile that I had was, you know, rocks are the students in our lives. And we as teachers need to be the one that melts cold curriculum that comes in ice packs and melt it down to a water so it envelopes the rocks and then stir it around and move it so that it shapes the rocks. And th- that's the metaphor I've, I've used going into teacher's college and the one I live by uh, in the classroom every day. I need to be able to melt down this concept to a point that engulfs the students so that they're engaged on whatever side they're at, whether they're at the top of the stack or at the bottom of the stack, and really reach down to them and help shape them in, in the curriculum that I'm using, but more for, for life skills. Mm-hmm. Life skills are the thing. Th- that's the more important part. Um, more recently, I've been getting a lot of imagery about uh, boats on dry land. And it's like, no, boats need to be on water, right? So we need to have water in order for boats to float. Mm-hmm. Without it, they're just, it's just garbage. It's junk. And I realize, no, you know, I'm stuck. I find myself in a place where I feel like I'm stuck on dry land, mm. but I need the water to come. And it's not just stagnant water. Uh, the picture of a wave comes to mind. And so, sorry, sorry for being so... Uh, no, that's so pictorial, good. right? No, I, I love that you're, you're throwing that down. Most times I'm sort of wandering through yeah. these mental images. And, uh... and so a, a picture of a wave comes by, and a wave is not something that stands stationary. It's mm-hmm. something that moves, and it's in constant motion. It, it's whether the crest of the wave or underneath it, there's movement. And so the idea is that I, I'm designed, and I realize that's a, that's, that's a, a metaphor of who I am, mm-hmm. an imagery of who I am. I'm designed to be moving. And I've been stuck right now. The last couple of years, I feel like I've been stuck, um, mainly because I had an accident and I had, I'm still recovering from it. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I've been stuck. And it's like, no, that's not who I am. And I'm almost identifying with being stuck and stagnant. And I realize, no, I need to move. I need to make that change. Let me ask you something. Yeah. And it's so, I, I had mentioned in our on-ramp that, you know, you, without knowing, I didn't even know that you were a teacher on our board when Teach Assist came on. On, on uh, online, right? When, yeah. when it came to us. 
Um, I knew of you. I had heard your name. And it was sort of always the redirect. Like, if you, something's not working, just email Eugene. Like, get, and, and I'm sure <laughs> to this day you're probably still getting you know, oh, yeah. quite a few of those. Um, so you being sort of one of the first individuals that I had heard of within close proximity that was sort of doing what my teachers were doing. Like, like you, I'm making these connections now as I'm sitting with you. You were doing what Mr. Fitch's, Mr. Watson, and Ms. Collins were doing, is that you had sort of like a side hustle that was, I don't know if it was the thing that was floating your EDU boat, mm -hmm. or it was the boat and something else was feeding it, right? So, yeah. but you were, you, were the, you were that person in, in my sort of, in my galaxy. So my question to you, yeah, yeah, my galaxy, because you were somewhere out there, right? I knew, yeah. I knew it, like, right? It's like um, you were out there somewhere. Is, is, is Teach Assist still, are you still there in Teach Assist? Absolutely. You're still in there? I'm still in there. Whether it's being called Teach Assist or not. Yeah. Um, like, we had a lot of, I, I had to spend a lot of time trying to figure out what the name of the company or the application would be. Right. And it came down to, what do I like to do? I like to assist those who teach. <laughs> That's a Makes sense, right? So I'll call it Teach Assist, right? And the domain for .ca was available, .com yeah. was taken, and it's like, ah, do I bite the bullet and buy it? Because it's just cyber squatted on, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's just not doing anything. And it's just, uh, it was one of those things where I felt like, no, you know what, I need to do something, and I came up with this. Now, do I still like to assist teachers? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Uh, in one way or another. Um, there's so many evolutions of it, so many different modules that have kind of expanded from it. Mm -hmm. But the heart of it is it's about assisting people and it's about helping them. And that's where the, the crux or the etymology of who I am as a teacher and the rationale as to why I am a teacher is because I like to help. I like to help people. So I'm going to tie together two things here. Because I do want to talk about um, Amigurumi. Am Amigurumi. Amigurumi. Yes. yes. I almost got the emphasis right. But <laughs> on the syllable. On the syllable. I love this. This is teacher humor, right? Okay. So here's something that I pulled out of pulled out of um, sort of reading about you, reading about you in your words, looking at your experience with crocheting, mm -hmm. um, seeing words like uh, convergence and transformation. Right, you sort of you're taking these, taking these elemental or foundational ideas and kind of, sorry, knitting them together. Yeah. So, but what came to what, what was interesting is because there's a and you know in my my little sketch here I have sack boy. So it's like this, I had this concept emerging of kind of flat to action, mm -hmm. and within that, and you can see my my quote there, yeah. the power of the chain stitch. Yeah. Because that's mentioned, you mentioned it, I've heard it before, I've seen it in sort of crochet and knitting um, uh, videos and forums. It's like when you figure out that almost meditative, repetitive pattern that you can kind of go on automatic, yeah. then you've kind of arrived at step one. Yeah. So, I mean, you can, you can shift back to teach assist or you can move forward into the, uh, into the actual crocheting. But I am curious about when you realized that there was a chain stitch with teach assist, when you realized that it, what you, you, you kind of hooked something. Yeah. Was there, and again, you've, you've talked, you've thrown down on teach assist so you can move forward into the actual crocheting. Yeah. What was, what is that? What is the power of that? What, like, what, cause I get it. I, it's like your groove, it's your zone, it's your, but it's something more too because I like that flat to action or flat to three dimensions, which you mentioned. It's sort of taking the concept and seeing it come alive in front of you. So what was the chain stitch in Teach Assist? Or what was it about the chain stitch in your crocheting that you would like to address? You no, can that, do either way. That's deep. <laughs> it's good, that's eh? Deep. That's, that's not bad, I eh? like it, I like it. Well, I likened it to the fact that life is like a thread. There we go. There's a beginning and an end. Right. Um, somebody I heard mentioned, you got to live in the dash because on our tombstone, it has your birth date, <laughs> dash, your end date. And that dash, the dash, that's good. The dash is your life. So I've heard that. In that's many, good and sad at the same time. Exactly. Like, not, <laughs> it's, like, like, it's, <laughs> it's such a short thing. It is, right? yeah. But that, that encompasses your life. I've heard it in many uh, sermons and messages and, and talks. That's a good one. And, um, but it, it's a line and that dash represents us. And so we are not an infinite line no. in this world, in this presence right now. We're not an infinite line. We have a beginning and an end to our yarn. What mm -hmm. do we do with it? How do we integrate that? 
And so one thing I've learned about crochet is it's all just one long yarn and it's like it's all connected and you can manipulate it to create something beautiful. Or you could have it just lying there as a bundle of a, a tangled yarn. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's your representation of who you are and what you can provide. Like you can craft something that can carry an item easier or you can craft something that can protect some another item and so with crochet and even with with teach assist the 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 chain stitch in a sense was that it's not just a, a product per se or it's not just something like an end solution to something there's there's a living element to it there's an organic element to it that it's to be used for something else whether it's just as uh, a showpiece or uh, something that can help people. Um, it depends on how you implement it. For me, however, it, it, it's not something like, okay, I've done it, I'm gonna move on. It's, it's something that I, I've, I've started it, it's part of me. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's about integrating it together. Um, a lot of the works I'm coming up with or the ideas that are stuck in my head are like, oh, so if I integrate that with this and this, we can come up with something really cool that we've never seen before mm -hmm. or we've seen, but we haven't been able to teach the kids how to do this yet. Yeah. So I'm trying to get the kids on board with, let's take robotics, crochet, and programming all on the same and try to do something with it. Um, my youngest, he's, he's really into, he's very artistic. Even at his age, he's artistic. He's willing to dabble in it, and we're we're being very conscientious of promoting it and encouraging him. Mm -hmm. um, he's really into these clay uh, sculpting stuff in clay. Mm -hmm. uh, right now, it's a uh, polymer clay stuff that you bake and make harder. Hardens up, yeah. And so, I've been teaching him some techniques that I've learned over the years. I want to make some new things, and we're just doing all these little things, but. He's taking to toothpick and putting like minuscule details on things now. And he's starting to really take um, notice of these minuscule details. Uh, he's been taking his Lego pieces, his Lego figurines, and he's been weathering them. He's like drawing little uh, battle damage. Yeah, yeah. Them and yeah. I've seen some of your posts there. And it's, it's hilarious. It's like, I did not teach him this. And yet he has Sharpie marker all over his hands. And he's realized he can do some really cool things with it. So the creativity is like it's starting to percolate and it's like, okay, this is something I want to celebrate with him and encourage him um, and make sure that, you know, it's something that we can work on together. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a great father-son thing to do together. Um, I, I did it with my older son. Uh, he's kind of walked away from it a little bit, but at the same time, it's, it's one of those things, we'll see where it goes. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, again, that uh, I believe... Uh, from a philosophical standpoint, that we are this line in this world that we live in right now. We have a beginning and an end, and we need to do something with it. And when we do end, it's left behind. That's what's left behind, is our, our legacy of what we've provided. And people can take advantage of it or, or not. You make me want to have like a, just an average-sized tombstone, <laughs> but like the dash... It's like multi-line long. Yeah. It goes around and yeah, around, it wraps and around. 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 Yeah, yeah. Like a, a cylindrical tombstone that just has like this this ground outline all yeah. the way around, all the way around. Yeah. Right? Like almost like um what are they called? Like a, like a thread. A med screw, meditation right? maze. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just all just the way all around, around around. And then yeah. so you have the birth dates. And then somewhere buried in the grass, like maybe even it's down in the post in the dirt. <laughs> where your coffin yeah, is, where like, your bones like, are. <laughs> when, was this, when did this dude die? That is awesome. You also made me think about the, that power of, because crochet, as I've tried it, it's making order from disorder. Yeah. And I think for me, that's where I'm hung. Like I have a hard time, I have a hard time um, sort of pushing myself into that creative end. I mean, you ran the session here at the school. I, I, I end up making something that I call a bookmark. Yeah. <laughs> it's also been a bracelet for a little while. I have it at home in a drawer. It's like a pink thread that's just, it's just a bunch of knots, but it, it's, 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 a, it's, it's a weird, like I've made. Organized knots. Yeah, organized <laughs> knots. I've created something. I've created order. So do we have a, a, any time? Were we good? Tell me, tell me how much time do we got? Another 15 minutes. Another 15, yeah. okay. Yeah. So um, I'm still digging that live in the dash. So, um, the, one of your blog posts, I'm going to wrap you sort of kind of coming around here, but one of the blog posts that you, you touched on 
observing teachers kind of working in a mode, and I'm paraphrasing here, but working in a mode of, of sort of grand assumption that because someone had spent a long time in school, that the equal signs, the equal sign then is, well, now I can teach. Now, that's oversimplified because yeah. no one arrives inside of an Ontario classroom as a teacher unless they also sort of are kind of taught how to teach to a degree. Yeah. But I'd like to explore a little bit that distance, that what you were noticing in that space because, so when did you come into teaching? 2000 and 2001 is when I went to teacher's college. So okay. that's when I, and then 2002 is my first year. So me, I came in 2005. And similarly, again, this is our, our parallel story. I'm coming out of industry. Second career. Yeah. yeah, second career, absolutely. So I was a chef formerly, so I'm coming out of hospitality. Even to the point like when I told my bosses yeah. and, and the look on their face, because <laughs> they thought I was calling a meeting to invest in their restaurant <laughs> or to go into their, they were going to open up another, another concept in down in Florida. Yeah. Or they thought I was going to come and say that I was going to open up my own place. I'm quitting. I'm like, no, I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I'm being your competitor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm going to quit. And they're like, and then they started to make it about the money and it wasn't, yeah. and I remember my mom asking me, you know, about how much I'm going to make the money. And I can remember saying to my students that it was about a 20K difference. It was yeah. my 20K decision. They're like, why would you ever do that? Yeah. And I didn't have the same sort of, let's say, uh, spiritual um, text messaging that you had going on there. Like that yeah. sort of, I, like I didn't have necessarily like that kind of awakening communication, but I had a real sort of... You had a calling still. There was right? a calling. I didn't yeah. know because the conversation for me was around, um, again, I'm married in 2002, so three years in, yeah. conversation was very much like, our life is great, we're doing great, but we, uh, I don't think, and this is a conversation between my wife and I, we're not going to move ahead with sort of like necessarily children, bigger family, because I was spending so much time, at work. probably about 95% of my time running the restaurant. Yeah. We had asymmetrical days off, so like... You never see each other. They're right? see each other, right? So there was a real cost to us building our professional kind of, our professional life. Yeah. And it came down to, you know, did... It was a value. It was a value judgment and a sort of like a future, future looking as opposed to what have I achieved? What is it I want to achieve? And what I started to realize is that there was, there was family in my future. Yeah. So when I arrived, when, so long story, trying to make it even shorter, when I made the decision to shift out, there was a whole lot of people saying, well, what about the money? Why would you do that? Like you're sort of like you're on an upward curve, which began my my conversation with myself and others saying that that's when you need to affect change. It's you need to do it when you're slingshotting over yeah. not when you're swinging under, right? You, and I, and I likened it to yeah. the decision as you go over and you swing under, once you're launched from an underside, you've got no control, yeah. but you tend to be able to see where you're going. If you launch over the top of your sort of like arc and you, you know, it, yeah. it just, again, my philosophy of, of career. So when I changed, I arrived here and I arrived here, I went through teachers college so fast. It was yeah. the one year program, yeah. Yeah. U of T. Um, and I was in with other colleagues. It was all through tech. So like I was in with hairdressers, yeah. other chefs, electricians. Uh, uh, and I sort of arrived in a classroom, got a job right away yeah. teaching. Yeah. And I arrived here and still had restaurant mindset. And I was imagining Business you still mindset. had industry mindset, exactly, right? Exactly, yeah. So you arrive, I arrive, and you, in your words, you know, you're observing in that transition, arriving in education, that there was a certain, I don't know, and I could be jumping, like there was something missing, something added, but there was something in the, something in the mindset of the teachers that, the system that you're observing, yeah. that was not, as you thought, was not maximized, optimized, no. not as interesting as it could be. Yeah. Give some shape to that. So what is it that you were kind of observing that you thought, eh, I'm going to mess with this. That's yeah. what I'm going to put in. I'm going to yeah. mess with I'm this, right? Mess with this. And, <laughs> and, and me, I'm going to take apart this radio. Exactly. <laughs> and and that's that's the tinkerer side in me, the, the disturber of the peace type <laughs> of thing. <laughs> and so I did bring in a lot of industry type of lingo or yep. attitude. And um, the principals back then also noticed you're a little different, right? Yeah. And it's like, you know what? That's just my industry background. And also, I have a different purpose as to why I'm here. It's not just a job. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I did, you know, I'm being critical here, but I saw some teachers where it was just a job for 10 months of the year, and they get the two months off in the summer. Mm -hmm. And then they begrudgingly come back in September and complain for the next 10 months. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to view teaching as that. I didn't view teaching as that because I, I viewed it as this is a great opportunity to help shape the minds of the future mm -hmm. and be impacting. Um, I had some difficult students 
you know, that that's always been the case and I've had difficult days and uh, some difficulties in trying to engage kids when I have such a passion and they don't reflect it. It's like, what is wrong? Mm-hmm. And I've had those, those dilemmas per se. But at the same time, um, like I did see, it's like, okay, not every teacher here is here for a reason or uh, with the same attitude and mindset that I had. Mm-hmm. And I quickly realized, okay, I can't make them enemies of mine, but I can't also become like them either. Um, one of the things that, that a number of people and I have talked about is a lot of teachers really need to live outside of school for a while and see what the real world is like and find out that the real world has changed or the real world is very different from school. Mm-hmm. Uh, too often um, I've talked to, and there are great teachers, but there's a few that are just like, you know what, you've been in school for your entire life. You never left high school. You still have the high school mentality of I need to be popular and I need to uh, portray this mm-hmm. imagery and I need to showcase my, my power here. Um, and it's like, okay, coming from a perspective of being a nerd in high school, being the underdog and the, the neglected one, mm-hmm. it's like, wow, it, it becomes quite evident. But at the same time, it's like, okay, you know, you have your traits, you have your, your pros and cons, you have your strengths and weaknesses. Um, what are you doing with them? And that's the question that I always had is what are you doing with your strengths yeah. and your weaknesses? One thing I've learned from Oise, when I went to Oise as well, was um, Michael Tudor's course on classroom management. It was like, it was the eye opener for me and it was the one course that's like, okay, this is worth all the money in the world. Mm-hmm. And just to see how a teacher, um, and this, I also learned this at IBM as well from, from a lot of... Uh, presentation workshops that I went to. When you're up in front of the students, you have to be the master of your domain in a sense and be able to convey uh, an engaging environment. Mm -hmm. No matter what state of mind you're in, Mm -hmm. no matter what your strengths or weaknesses are. And I learned that through Michael Tudor's class. I learned that through um, presentation skills and in, in various work environments about how to recognize my weaknesses and overcome them. My weakness is public speaking. I, growing up, I hated public speaking. I hated speaking in front of the classroom. Mm-hmm. And yet people look at me and say, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. I've spoken in front of hundreds of people. I've done presentations to hundreds of people. I've redone a number of presentations. My speech fluency and my stage presence I've worked on, but because I knew these were my weaknesses, people don't see them as a weakness. And so um, when I don't see that type of passion Mm -hmm. in a teacher who's not willing to embrace their weaknesses and just say, oh, that's a weakness, so I'm not even going to do it, it it just kind of irks me the wrong way. Mm -hmm. And so... um, I just wish everybody had that. And that's what I teach with the kids too. And like, you know, I, I, do, I recognize their weaknesses and I say, okay, so what are you going to do about it? How are we going to overcome this? It's not going to be a quick fix in the next five months I have you, but I recognize it. I'm calling you out on it. I want you to be able to recognize it too. And so as a teacher, I feel like that's one of the life skills that we really need to call out on. Yeah. And, and you, you also, you put me, you put me back into, I had, um, I had a, one of the people that talked to me on this podcast, her name is Jen Apgar. She's out of Waterloo. No, Guelph, sorry. And uh, so I, you know, a couple of things that were curious to me. She's like, yeah, let's talk. And right away she flipped and she's like, why do you do the podcast? And we ended up doing the podcast. We had to do two parts because we ended up talking about, <laughs> Talk about why. why yeah, you're Guelph, doing like it. what's, yeah. what is your, what is your driver? Like, what is your, what's your going on here with you wanting to do this? And she wasn't asking it as a way to sort of shake my tree. Yeah. She was, and to use your imagery, she was looking like, like, what are the roots of this? Yeah. And, and, and if, what are the roots of this and how is the fruit, the sort of like the, the outcome, which is the podcast. And I said, for me, what it really came down to was, um, trying to get a, a, a better peek at what was going on in education in jurisdictions that I have no connection to. Yeah. So going wider than what's happening in, in my, in my staff meeting, yeah. in my sort of department meeting, in my board. Yeah. And I've been really fortunate that I've been able to sort of like jump way out there 
to, to kind of soak in other people's context. But it's in step with what you're saying is that um, one of the things in industry for me is that it was always what kept me back to my Polish side, working like a dog. I work like a dog, right? It was, I put in the hours, yeah. I put in the suffering, yeah. you know, I, I bled, I sweat, I, I learned, I had to work. I would openly say, you want my job, I'll train you for it, but I'm gone. Like you're yeah. going to have to run with me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But the other side too, is that I always looked outside of industry to keep me inspired in my industry. industry. Yep. So there's something to that where there isn't really these really cool conversations, I think, in ed education about how do you sort of like, how do you synergize that? How do you bring in that stuff yeah. so that you're not playing to your strengths all the time? You're, you're playing to your curiosities. You're yeah. playing to your playfulness. You're playing to sort of like your, your inquiring side. Exactly. So I, I see where you're coming from on that for yeah. sure. No. And uh, the, the, the latest imagery I've been getting about the wave and everything mm -hmm. and how a stagnant water is stagnant water. It doesn't do anything. You got to stir it. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not the wave. I'm not the water, but I'm the one that's stirring it. And that's me. And um, I mean, we introduce challenges to the kids, mm -hmm. but our hope is that the challenge is like a, a grain of sand inside of an oyster. Right? Yeah. It comes in. It's difficult at times, but over time, it turns into a, a beautiful gem, a pearl, and uh, something that is highly prized, and something that can be celebrated. And so that, that helps me um, refocus my perspective. It ensures that I'm in the right direction, that I'm moving in the right direction. You know, we have milestones in our life for a reason. Mm -hmm. It's not just to go back and look at it. It's to turn around and see what direction we're supposed to be moving towards. And pay so, attention to the dash. Yeah, and pay attention to the dash. <laughs> and the direct, the there's an absolute direction as to where oh, you're supposed man. to be. I've been stuck at forks in a road for too long in my life yep. to realize it really doesn't matter which side I go on as long as I'm moving. Yeah. And that's, that's where I am now. It's like I've been stuck at this fork, uh, a physical fork, and it's like, no, I'm going to start moving because, you know what, I've been too stagnant for too long and I need to instigate that, that movement forward. Okay, here's the last one then. I'm gonna, we're going to come in just under the time. Yep. We're good. So um, I'd love to get out of the abstract for a second. I feel like we can have a part two, part three to this conversation. <laughs> um, so the one of the original things that I was exploring with this podcast is how people deal with change, yep. either planned or unplanned. Mm -hmm. And you know, how do you come out of that? And I've had as many uh, people being wagged versus, you know, wagging, so to speak. So a good, I think a good step to sort of talk about change is, is some sort of a public declaration. So I'm putting you on blast just for a second. Okay. So possibly coming down the pipe, what do you see as a, as a, as a sort of like a, an interesting possibility for the next for you? What, what, what space, what idea, what do you sort of look into inhabit or sort of like get to know, get cozy up aside? Yeah. What do you, what do you, you get any sort of like pre-release notes on this? What do you, what are you so, working on? Um, you're being privy to thoughts that are just honestly fresh in my mind. <laughs> I'm good with those. My, my wife doesn't even know about these. Yeah. I can so. wait to release this podcast <laughs> until after the weekend if okay. you want. <laughs> no, you know, she, she knows the, the gestation of the things that are going in my, mm -hmm. in my head. She knows what direction we're moving in. Um, Full-time teaching is not my future. Okay. Uh, the, there's things that are happening around me and realizing um, things are changing. Mm -hmm. And because things are changing, I need to change with it. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the realization that even though I enjoy teaching, I love teaching, um, it's not the teaching that is bringing about the change. It's me. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm the change. I'm the agent of change. Okay. So as a, as a change agent, I need to do something yep. about that. So whether it's, you know, for me, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly a very risk adverse person. I don't like change though. I've been instigating change a lot. Um, it comes at a, at a great cost to me mm -hmm. of comfort. And it's like, okay, but I'm at that point where, no, I'm becoming more comfortable with needing to make that change. And so the changes around how I'm responding to it is embrace. Okay. Because that's what you have to do. And sometimes that embracing of the change comes at a cost, whether it's financial, mm -hmm. um, 
intellectual, emotional, psychological. It's recognizing it. I think that's the big thing. Um, when it's an unknown, it's fear. that There's a lot of fear in it. But if I can label it or put something to it, then all of a sudden it's something I can hold on to and take hold the reins mm -hmm. in a sense. And so that's what, that's what um, I'm leaning towards at this point. Uh, there's a number of steps that we're going to have to take, mm -hmm. whether um, it's a change in number of hours I work as a, as a teacher. Yep. Um, my wife, she wrote a book a year ago, and we've published it, and we're in the midst the Invisibles? of... The Invisibles? The Invisibles, yep. We're in the midst of getting... We're, we've just finished a rewrite of it, the re-edit, and we're going through the paces of pushing that forward, and mm -hmm. that's what she wants to do full-time. So she's... Like, we're both at that... It's funny. It's like a midlife crisis type of scenario. It's like, okay, what are we doing, right? And uh, that's good. We've been hitting it for years, and we're we're finally just, you know what? We're gonna just bite the bullet and move forward. I wish we had time for a beer after this. Exact same <laughs> conversations. No joke. Yeah. No joke. I just said to to my wife the other day. You know, I feel like we we kind of need to have a conversation about who we are as a family. I feel like stuff yeah. is kind of like changing. It's percolating. The yeah, it's yeah percolating. there's something happening. Yeah, and absolutely. the other thing that you said, because only because you mentioned growth mindset somewhere, is that one of the conversations that doesn't happen often, but I feel like we're kind of on the on the edge of this, is that with growth mindset also comes heart palpitations, yeah. anxiety, <laughs> sleepless nights. Like that's the energy, because that's, that's where the energy goes. When you get into growth mindset and you're just yeah. like, I'm going to include it, one big salad, that's where at night it kind of wakes you up and you're like, I'm in this mode and I can't turn it down. Absolutely. Man, yeah. We're definitely going to have to do a part two. Okay. okay, so for now, if people reaching out to you, connecting with you, where where can people find you? Uh, our website's ichan.com. Okay. Um, my Instagram and my Instagram and Twitter handle are at ichan.com, so E-C-H-U-N-D-O-T-C-O-M. Spelt it all out because yeah. it's easier. I'll make it clickable in the notes. And make too, it yeah. clickable, yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, that's that's the main way to reach us. Um, from ichan.com, you'll get links to all the other things: the blogs, the teach assist, the crochet, the ed tech stuff that I've been involved in. So that's our hub right now, and we're openly sharing that. So cool, man. Thanks for talking with me. No, thank you. This was this, <laughs> the, the time flew by. It's just scary how fast the yeah. time flies by. I think so. we're on point too. You'll yes. get out of here. We'll go do our pickups. Exactly. And we got to go into dad mode. Exactly. All right. Okay. Fantastic. Thanks, Thanks. man. Thanks.